So let's begin reading 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 1. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. And so we know that King Ahab was shot with an arrow and died in battle against Syria. But as we read here in verse 1, Jehoshaphat made it home safely. King Jehoshaphat, if we just pause for a moment and think about him, he was in that battle. He was arrayed. They knew that he was a king. They realized that he was not the king that they wanted to go after. And King Ahab was not spared, and yet King Jehoshaphat was spared. You know, you have to think about these things. You have to note it. You have to acknowledge the fact that this was God's grace. It was his mercy. It was God who spared the king in that moment. It's God's patience. Because King Jehoshaphat was in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the right wrong, wrong time with the wrong people, right? I wonder how many times we're in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. And God has spared us. He's given us some mercy. He's been patient with us. He's allowed us to arrive safely at home. So we note that. We see how it was that God was gracious towards King Jehoshaphat in this instant. He spared him, even though he had made a disastrous decision to go help this wicked king, King Ahab, in his battle. This, again, is God's grace and his patience. But he wasn't back home for long before a man by the name of Jehu came to rebuke the king for having done what he did. Jehu, as we read, was the son of a courageous prophet, Hanani. And he was also used by God to prophesy to Basha, king of Israel, according to 1 Kings chapter 16. With this, also, I want to just acknowledge the fact that God gives different people different platforms. In this case, we have Jehu, we also have Hanani, and we have others who were used to speak to kings, to prophesy, to warn. Also to encourage or give specific instructions to. People are given specific platforms to serve God in. And the question as we stop and pause and think about Jehu and Hanani and all of these other prophets. Do you know your platform? You know sometimes we get duped into believing and thinking that as the enemy whispers in our ear. Thinking we have absolutely no platform. God hasn't given us anything when you know that's a lie. That is not true. So I ask you, what is your platform? Who is your audience? 
what is your sphere of influence entrusted to, to you? Because you ought to know that you have been entrusted with this platform, whatever it may be. Your family, friends, neighbors, co-workers. Perhaps every now and then you have someone that you meet that is new. People within the church. As you go out and introduce yourself to different people. You build those bridges of trust and all of a sudden you have a bigger sphere of influence. Have you been faithful to that? Because they have been entrusted to you. You have the message of reconciliation. You have the word of God hidden in your heart. That you may be able to share in a fitting way. To speak to others that which they need. Well, these men were courageous. And he is described as being courageous. Every time you share God's word, you are courageous. You are being faithful to the Lord. Well, how was Jehu faithful to God? Because he was sent to King Jehoshaphat for one reason in this moment. Jehu was sent to expose the sin of Jehoshaphat, which was his alliance with King Ahab. That was his sin, and that's what, what Jehu exposed to King Jehoshaphat. He said, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? It's like Nathan, when Nathan was sent to King David. Nathan was sent to King, to King David to expose his sin. And so he told him this story. And he says, you're the man. Right? We know the story about David. And so in this case, we have Jehu sent to King Jehoshaphat for just one simple reason, and that's to expose King Jehoshaphat's sin. You see... His alliance with King Ahab was an alliance with the enemies of God. King Ahab hated the Lord. How did Ahab hate the Lord? Well, we'll describe him. He was an idolatrous man. He was an immoral man. He was a coward. His open facilitation of false worship and his actions in not allowing the Israelites of the northern kingdom to travel to the southern kingdom, to Jerusalem, to go worship. That's how he hated. We know that he hated the Lord. There was nothing in King Ahab that told us otherwise. Jehu pointed out that the help he gave to Ahab was helping the wicked, assisting the wicked, facilitating the wicked. And he showed quote unquote love to those who hate the Lord. Oh, this is this is something to just like take your time as we go through this part. Because this is this is what Jehu brought to the attention of King Jehoshaphat. Because this is the type of supposed love that the world will indoctrinate you with if you allow it to. It's in the name of tolerance. It's in the name of compromise. 
this type of love, which is no love at all, it's again compromise, has unfortunately penetrated the church as well. Well, I, I see it everywhere. We need to make note of verses like Ephesians 5.11. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. You know, not only do we sometimes find ourselves guilty of participating in the unfruitful works of darkness, but even much less expose them. We're considered to be legalists or just not loving, not compassionate, not understanding. It's infiltrated the church. Brothers and sisters, there's much that we allow and put up with within the church in the name of entertainment or even worship. Our own hearts. Given over to it. That there's, there's very little exposing. And again, those who expose are, are just outcasts. They're, they're put out. You may say, but I'm showing the love of God to a, a blind and dying world. By what, taking part in what they're taking part in? By not exposing them? I, I ask you to please come back to our text. And as Jehu was sent by none other than God himself. To reveal to King Jehoshaphat that his alliance with an evil king, to do his bidding, to go out with him, was showing no love at all. But he was showing a love for those who hate God. I'm not talking about sharing the gospel with them and helping those who are in need. I'm talking about agreeing with and partnering with that which is evil and opposed to God, even those who openly hate God. You know, we need to be reminded of perhaps Psalm 97.10, which says, Oh, you who love the Lord. Two words, hate evil. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Do you hate evil? Do you love that which the Lord loves, and do you hate that which the Lord hates? Because I've been, to, I've, I've been in conversations to where it's like, well, hate is a strong word. It's like, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm not mincing words. I'm saying what I mean to say, what God means to say. I will come alongside him. In that which he hates, I will hate sin and darkness, that which brings destruction, undermines the very work of God. I, I hate We live in a very compromising world. And I wish that in the church there was more black and white. It is black and white, but I, I wish the church, that which is comprised of the church, the people, my brothers and sisters, would stand. It's black and white. There's nothing in between. Be 
because Jehoshaphat was rebuked because he did what he should not have done. And was told that because of this, the wrath of God has gone out against him. Nevertheless, in the same rebuke, Jehoshaphat is reminded of what he has done good. Perhaps it, it, it served to remind him of what he should continue to do. Don't do that anymore, but do this. You have set your heart to seek after God. Get back to that and don't deviate from that. Continue to seek God with all of your heart. You know, there's something to be said about someone when he's challenged, right? Rebuked, exhorted, admonished. We uh, need to be stronger within the church. We need to understand, hey, listen, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If you have people that are surrounding you that are just telling you what you want to hear, rest assured, I don't know, you may not be in good company. They're just agreeing with you. Listen, the one who has fallen and gets back up, knowing that God is just and he will discipline, but he's also the lifter of our heads. And he desires that we get up and get up one more time and one more time and one more time. Has anyone seen the movie Robin Hood with Russell Crowe? No? There's one phrase that's stuck in my mind. Rise and rise again until sheep become lions. Rise and rise again until sheep become lions. I love that because... It speaks of tenacity. It speaks of the person who truly knows his God. Who although he makes mistakes, although he stumbles, will often know at that moment, be, being more aware to get up and get up again. This is King Jehoshaphat. This is why I, as I studied King Jehoshaphat in these chapters, I thought, man, this is a man who continued to just, as he's Falling, as he's stumbling, he continued to get back up. Rise and rise again until sheep become lions. Verse 4. This is his response. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem. And he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Doesn't sound like a man that stayed down. Doesn't sound like a man that you know, folded when he was rebuked, right? In, in fact, it's quite the opposite. He had learned from his mistake. You see, in that first verse there, in verse 4 that we read here, Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem, meant that he, he stayed put, he dwelt in Jerusalem, he didn't go anywhere. He didn't go to the northern kingdom, he didn't go to any other king. He stayed put in Jerusalem. 
Jehoshaphat, after having remained in Jerusalem for some time, he personally traveled to these various locations throughout Judah to bring people back to Jerusalem and more importantly, back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. I love this. King Jehoshaphat was making it a point to personally go to these different locations and bring people back to Jerusalem so that they would worship. Yeah, I read Galatians 6.1, and, and that is doing everything you can to be used as an instrument to help people be restored into the Lord. Bring them back to Jerusalem. Bring them back to the center of worship, that place where they can worship the one true living God. Jehoshaphat, man, he, he went out there. He did the work. He sought after the people and made sure that they were in the right place and they were worshiping the Lord. You see, Jehoshaphat did not allow Jehu's rebuke to take him down. Not that it was his intent, because it's a rebuke, a true godly rebuke, is never intended to bring someone down. In fact, a true godly rebuke is intended to help someone understand or see their sin to allow them to confess or agree that that was a sin against the Lord. And number two, repent and be reconciled unto the Lord. That's the whole purpose of a godly rebuke, a strong admonishment. But listen, we have to understand that some people will allow a rebuke to anger them or make them so ashamed that they will stop walking with the Lord altogether, stop serving him. Have you seen that? I've seen that. You're in the church long enough. You're going to see that. So now that you know that, and that's not the intention of a rebuke or an admonishment or instruction, we come to a place, brothers and sisters, to where we're more mature in the Lord. And when we do get that from the Lord, and you will get that from the Lord as we study God's word, perhaps on a Sunday morning, perhaps on a Wednesday evening, perhaps from a brother or sister who truly loves you, that you receive that and you understand the reason for that. We humble ourselves before the Lord. We confess, we repent, and we get back up and keep going. That didn't happen to King Jehoshaphat. Instead of building alliances with God's enemies, he traveled to bring people back to God. And then he appointed judges throughout the land to ensure the people were taken care of, having law and order throughout. So he didn't stop being king. At that moment, when he had erred, he continued to serve in the position and the place that God had ordained for him to continue to serve. Tenacity, perseverance, steadfastness. He was immovable. That's why as you look at this man, yes, again, he blundered, but at the same time, he got back up and he kept going. He appointed judges 
throughout the land to ensure the people were taken care of, again, having law and order throughout. Jehoshaphat's charge to the judges was a solemn caution, number one. Secondly, a sovereign responsibility of stewardship of God's law before God. Hey, listen, I may be appointing you as judges, but rest assured you are serving God. That kind of puts things in a different perspective. It's a sobering responsibility. It's also a solemn caution, a warning. Take your role seriously. Make sure that you stay focused on the one whom you serve. Make sure that you understand that your responsibility is first and foremost to him. Your stewardship is what's been entrusted to you. What is that? Oh, it is the, the proper observance of God's word, his law, and applying it in various situations. Oh, how we must consider what we do and for whom we do it. We must always acknowledge that. Again, it kind of puts things in a different perspective. It's sobering and it's humbling. Even as we come together as a church and we serve the Lord, it's humbling. It's a stewardship. And we are serving one. That's why we ought to, hey, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be a person of your word. Follow through with your responsibilities and make sure that you're doing it with excellence, whatever you do. Because he was telling them, hey, listen, the judgments, by the way, are not for men. Oh, man may be before you. Two parties may be before you. But those judgments that you're passing are not for them. Those judgments, and he was telling them, the judgments that you're passing are for God. It's to be faithful to him, to uphold his word, not to favor one or the other. And remember, God is with you when you're passing those judgments. It's interesting what, what happens there. And um, what, what happened in Matthew 18 actually is, is uh, another section of scripture that you can look to, to where God says, when passing judgment, when the church is passing judgment, where two or more are gathered in his name, and that is speaking of passing judgment on a specific situation, there I am with you. It's the same thing. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So therefore, in this instance, King Jehoshaphat is telling them, hey, make sure you understand that every time you pass judgment according to God's word, God is with you, and he's established it. It's a done deal. Remember that. Another thing. You will do all of these things if you have one thing. And that is you fear God. You fear God above man. Be careful how you decide. Be just. Show no partiality. Do not take bribes. These are all the things. This is the charge that he gave to them. 
we must consider these things also as we serve the Lord. Be just, be fair, no show no partiality. Take no bribe in whatever way, shape, or form it could come. Remember that your decisions ought to be according to God's word. Your manner of service should be unto the Lord whom you serve, who is ultimately the one who's entrusted you with whatever it is that you're doing. Now these judges were told by the king that without God and without the upholding of law and order, they knew that there would be chaos. Listen to this. Without God and without the upholding of law and order, a society will decay morally, turn inward, and rot from the inside out, falling into chaos and eventually destroying itself. That is what happens with society. That is what's happening with America. We are decaying, falling into chaos, destroying ourselves as we are focused inwardly, first and foremost, at the person himself, and secondly, not caring about anyone else. We're immoral, and so in further need and in more need of having the gospel presented and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, Jehoshaphat established the judicial branch of the southern kingdom, ensuring those who were passing judgments did so justly and faithfully toward God. Verse 11, or verse 8, let's continue. It says, Moreover, in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of families of Israel to give judgments for the Lord and to decide disputed cases. They had their seat at Jerusalem, and he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness, and with your whole heart, whenever a case comes to you from your brothers who live in their cities concerning bloodshed, law, or commandment, statutes, or rules, then you shall warn them that they may not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will not incur guilt. And behold, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the governor of the house of Judah, and all the king's matters, and the Levites will serve you as officers. Deal courageously, and may the Lord be with the upright. How were they to judge as he continued to lay everything out for them? Well, he says they were to judge in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness to God, and with their whole heart. In other words, not reluctantly or just to check off their duty, their, their box, you know, I, I, did, I did my part, and definitely not reluctantly. You know, he was telling them, hey, listen, number one, fear the Lord, in fear of the Lord, number two, in faithfulness to God, and thirdly, with your whole heart, like, are you doing it because you desire, you know who you're serving, The just shall live by faith. The righteous walk by faith, not by sight, and even less by feelings. It's when we're not 
feeling it, right? And I don't know about you guys, but I know for me, I, I just, I don't, I, don't, um, I don't feel it 100% of the time. You understand what I'm saying? Do you guys? Are you guys good all the time? Okay. You know, it, it's faith. And it, and it demonstrates a love for God when in those moments when, when you're not, you're just not feeling it. You're like, you're not in it. You're kind of like, man, I'm, I'm just like, I feel kind of out of it. It's at those points, those times that we demonstrate our love for God. You know what? I'm not, I'm not feeling like it, but Lord, I have chosen, I have committed, I have devoted, and therefore I will follow through. And it's quite amazing that in the midst of you following through with whatever it is that you have committed to, that the Lord will meet you there. And at some point you realize, wow, I'm, I'm being blessed right now. I'm, I'm actually sensing just the Lord's nearness. You get back to a place of getting refocused and, and you... You, you get your priorities straight again. Even as you go through and follow through with what you were to do with your whole heart. And at some point, you get there. You have your whole heart in it once, once again. But we need to fear the Lord. We need to be faithful to him. And then serve him with our whole heart. Now, the question was, what shall they do? Well... They were to judge. Their judgments served to lead them to repentance that they may not incur guilt before the Lord. That's interesting. So these judges were there to judge the situation to lead them to repentance that they may not incur guilt before the Lord. It, it's almost as if you could put this into the New Testament. You mean even in the Old Testament they could ask for forgiveness and be forgiven? Yet yeah, listen, we serve... We serve the same God of the Old Testament as we do in the New Testament. That's what he desired. Did not, was not David forgiven when he repented, when he confessed, when he repented? Was not Caleb warned? Hey, listen. Oh, Satan, the enemy. He's crouching at the door. When he was warned. Oh, repentance right here. We know that these judges, hey, listen, what you are doing is you are speaking God's truth, allowing them to get to a place of confessing, repenting, and coming back to, the, to a right place before the Lord. So, yes, that's what they shall do. Why are they to judge and warn this way? So that they will not incur guilt before the Lord. You see, it was their responsibility to lay out the truth. These judges. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7, it says, So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die 
in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Same thing. Jehoshaphat was telling them, hey, listen, this is your responsibility. Do not hold anything back. Make sure that you lay everything before them. Judge the matter fairly and justly. For if you do not warn them, then their blood will be required of you. And lastly, he tells them, deal courageously and may the Lord be with the upright. You see, all who judge matters in the name of the Lord ought to do so courageously. The Lord is with the upright, those who are in agreement with God. And so, as we see here, Jehoshaphat, even after having been rebuked by Jehu, established a strong judicial system by which he ensured God's word was taught, understood, and upheld, holding the nation accountable to it. Now, verse 1 of chapter 20 says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Maonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast at all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Wow. So he was rebuked. He continued on in his responsibilities as king of Judah. And even then, even after having established this amazing judicial system within the southern kingdom, we have these enemies that come, assemble themselves, and come against Jehoshaphat. You see, the enemies of God and of God's people don't have compassion for people after they've confessed, repented, and returned to God. They don't play nice. In fact, it's quite the opposite. This is why we ought to be prepared to defend well against the attacks of the enemy when they happen. Did you get saved? Did you make a recommitment to the Lord? Are you seeking to, to grow closer to him? Did you have a good Sunday? I felt good, man. I was really built up and encouraged by the word. Well, stand fast. Brothers, sisters, stand fast. The enemy does not play nice. He will do everything he can to steal that word right from your heart. We ought to be prepared. We ought to be prepared to defend well against the attacks of the enemy. Not if they happen. When they happen. When they happen. As we see here, a significant threat came against Jehoshaphat. Significant. I mean, this, these, the enemies were, were numerous. And you can rest assured, they weren't there to discuss options. They assembled for war to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy means to steal, kill, and destroy. 
the enemies of God gathered together and readied themselves to attack. Jehoshaphat, what did he do? Well, he responded well, very well. At the same time, you know, we need to acknowledge the fact that as, as we see here, it says that a great multitude is coming against you from Edom is what he was told. And then Jehoshaphat, it says in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid. You ever, you ever get overwhelmed by a situation that you find yourself in? Like in the moment, like right there. Like, hmm. Feel a little anxious, worried, fearful. Jehoshaphat, as he saw the multitudes, he was afraid. But note that he didn't run, he didn't hide, and he did not surrender. He did what was right. He sought the Lord. Immediately, Jehoshaphat called on everyone to fast and pray. Hey, listen, I'm going to fast and pray. I'm, I'm calling on everyone. Hey, listen, everyone, we're gathering together. Let's fast and pray. Let's seek the Lord. What does he, what does he want us to do? What is he going to do? And the people responded by gathering together as Jehoshaphat sought after God, so they all did. As the king sought after the Lord and fasted, so everyone else did too. Perhaps in this moment, Jehoshaphat remembered his previous blunder. Perhaps he remembered Jehu's word that was brought to him, where he said that the wrath of the Lord had gone out against him because of what he had done. Oh, Lord, is this what Jehu was referring to? Is this your wrath that you are allowing to come upon me because of my error? I don't know, but I'm not giving up. I'm seeking you because you are almighty God. You are the creator of the universe. Well, he did the right thing and he prayed. He humbled himself before God, asking for God to do something. And this is his prayer. Verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not... Our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? 
For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a prayer. And this prayer, actually, as he's praying, as he's acknowledging all of these things, it's amazing how we remember those things that God has already done. What happens is it, is it places courage within us. It reminds us of his faithfulness. Jehoshaphat prayed in this manner, acknowledging his power and sovereignty first and foremost. Hey, listen, God is all powerful and he is sovereign. Over what? Over all. There is nothing that he doesn't have power and sovereignty over. Secondly, acknowledging that no one compares to him. There's, there's no one that compares to you. You are God and there is no other. That alone would probably solve many of our problems if we just started our prayers with that. You are sovereign and you are all powerful over all. You there is no one that compares to you, God. No one. Nothing. Thirdly, he acknowledged God's victories for his people. Time and time again, he started going through, right? And then remembering and proclaiming God's promise to hear their cry when his people were, would be in affliction and they were remembering how God said that in that moment he would hear and save them. Oh, when we, when we called on you and, and we asked you if this is what you would do, you said you would. It's in this moment, God, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are fixed on you out to you. It's happening right now. God, will you take them, will you, will you allow them to take us out of the very land that you promised to us as our inheritance? Because we must confess as we look at this horde of people, this army that came up and is arrayed against us. We're powerless. We're powerless. We, in our own strength, we, we will have no victory. So we ask you, Lord, judge this enemy. Because we do not know what to do. And yet, we just simply fix our eyes upon you and we wait. Jehoshaphat, through that prayer, was telling God that there is no one else that can help them. I'm not looking to anyone else. I'm not placing my trust in anyone else. I'm crying out to you. I'm, I'm remembering of your, your power and your might, your sovereignty, in your faithfulness. You have we have known victory over our, our enemies because you have known victory over our enemies. So there is no one else. 
the steward of God's nation was looking to the king of his nation to come to their aid and judge their enemies. Psalm 121, 1 and 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then, as the people with their children and men with their wives stand and wait, after King Jehoshaphat prayed, they're all assembled. They're praying and they're fasting. They wait for God's response, and He responds. Verse 13, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Sis. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. The Lord responded. As the Spirit came upon Jehaziel, and he spoke, he says, The Lord says, hey, number one, don't be afraid. And do not lose hope. That is, do not be dismayed. As you see this massive army assembled against you, because the battle is not yours. It's not yours. I know they're assembled against you, but the battle is not yours. It's God's. So, what do you do? Tomorrow, go assemble against them. So, by the way, this was, this was their part to show faith and trust in God. Go assemble against them. Tomorrow morning, go assemble against them. That would take great faith, wouldn't it? Just assemble. Just stand. In fact, he told them, stand firm. Go assemble against them, stand firm. And thirdly, hold your position. Do not waver. Stand. Don't go anywhere. And he tells them, you will, you will, not, you will not have to fight. I'm just calling you to do this. Just go do this. Just Go assemble against them. Stand and hold your position. That's all I'm asking you to do. You won't have to fight, but in that place, you will see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. They were simply to express faith and trust in God and be witnesses to God's power on their behalf. How many times have you done that? Well, we're anxious about tomorrow. When we can't do anything about tomorrow. And yet when we simply remain faithful to the Lord. How many times has he not as you're standing there and watching. He fights your battles for you. And there's things that happen that are beyond your comprehension. And you can give credit to none other than the Lord. No one else. 
Because this is how the Lord was telling them, this is how you are to participate in this victory over the enemies. Assemble God against them, stand and do not move. Don't waver. We always lose when we fail to assemble, when we fail to go out, when we fail to stand fast and hold our position. It's all God asks us to do anyway. By faith, just go out. Go out. Take the first step and watch what I do. Second Chronicles 16.9, we've gone over this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through, throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So what was their response? Verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, Worshipping the Lord and the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And we had taken counsel with the people. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 22, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So what was their response? Worship. That was their response. Worship. When they received word from the Lord, why did they worship? That was my question. Why did they worship in that moment? Why did they praise God? Their enemies were still before them. They were numerous. They still had absolutely no chance other than God doing what he said he would. So why did they enthusiastically, with reverence and humility, worship and praise God? Again, I ask this question because oftentimes, what kind of enemy is, is assembled before us? 
And when we're reminded of God's promises, what is our response in that moment? Oh, but you don't know my situation. Mine is tougher than anyone's. I don't mean to lack sympathy. But oh, how we can fall into that and we do it time and time again. Eeyore, right? Like what in the world? Did you not get reminded just right now of God's faithfulness and his power and his might? Did you not get reminded about how many times you've known victory in him? They responded this way because they believed God at his word. And they responded as if it had already happened because they knew it was as good as done. That's, that's one of those times to where I, I see this and I think, oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for all the times that I've been reminded and yet continue on to be concerned or worry about something that I have absolutely no power over. And you've already re- uh, promised me these things and oh, how I've fallen short. They were enthusiastic. They were Worshiping and praising God because they just believe God at his word. And, and then Jehoshaphat told all the people what God had promised. And then the people also worshiped and praised and thanked God for his steadfast love endures forever. And they sang and praised God and moved against the enemy and routed them. They didn't. In fact, as we read there, it was God's ambushers that came against them. I wonder what that was like. As they sang and praised God, God inhabits the praises of his people. It was in that moment that God moved against the enemy and routed them. And did you see that it was the ones who were singing and worshiping God that were before the army? Did you note that? It wasn't the army, and then it was the, the worshipers before them. Kinda, that's an odd positioning, right? <laughs> hey, listen, the army wasn't going to not shoot one arrow. They, they weren't going to do anything. Because, again, they were trusting in God's word completely, obviously, Stick the worship team out front. A few guitars. Maybe a, maybe not the drum kit, but maybe a, a cajon or something like that, right? No, the worshipers were out front. The army was in back. Why? Because they were already declaring victory. Interesting. Wow. They were expecting a miracle. They rested, you see, in the promises of God because they trusted God was able and faithful to follow through with his word. Verse 24, this is what they saw. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his, and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. 
They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they, they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for as God gave him rest all around. So as they came, as they looked from the watchtower of the wilderness, they saw what had taken place. The Lord's ambushers took everyone out. Jehoshaphat and the people walked among, among their dead enemies, collecting all the great plunder and called the place the Valley of Blessing, for that is what that means, the Valley of Blessing, because it was there that God's people blessed the Lord with thankful and grateful hearts toward God. They all returned to their homes in Judah and Jerusalem, Again, with joy, singing, playing instruments, praising God, rejoicing over their enemies because they had known victory over them by the might of God. When the surrounding nations heard what had taken place, well, the fear of God struck their own hearts. They were fearful of Judah. They wanted nothing to do with them. And so, through that, God had given Jehoshaphat rest from all of the nations he was at rest. Verse 31. Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. He walked in the way of Asa, his father, and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat from first to last are written in the Chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. So overall, he did good. But as we see here, the hearts of the people were not completely set upon the God of their fathers. Idolatry was still taking place. And so that is something that is true of any people. And this is the, the work that we set ourselves to, to help people break from idolatrous practices in that their hearts may be truly and wholly set on God. Jehoshaphat did what he could, but it was ultimately up to the people to follow as he led or choose for themselves to worship idols. It reminds me of Joshua as he called upon the people in Joshua chapter 24 verses uh, 24 verses 14 and 15, how he told him, hey, choose today whom you will serve. He told him, hey, put away, and I'm summarizing, all the idols that you have, that your fathers had carried and worshipped. And come, let's worship the God together. But he said, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Verse 35, let's see how it ended. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built the ships in uh, Ezion, Geber. Then Eliezer, Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu of Mar Marisha, 
prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Azziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. Almost, right? Almost. I want to make sure we know some important details. So 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 48 says, Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geber, which we just read. Then Azai, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. I read that because of this. Jehoshaphat did experience the disaster of his alliance with just yet another wicked king. But after having been rebuked by Eliezer, as we learned in 1 Kings, he refused to do it again. Rise and rise again. That sheep may become lions. Jehoshaphat understood his blunder yet once more. You see, sometimes the Lord has to destroy what we have done, the works of our hands, our endeavors, in order for us to learn to refrain from doing things with what we have in a sinful way. This is a lesson that Jehoshaphat, even in his older age, had learned yet once again. And yet, he did learn it. He did confess. He did repent from that as he was rebuked just one more time. Heavenly Father, may we put our whole trust in you and in nothing and no one else. May we keep our eyes fixed upon you. And when we do fail, Lord, help us to humble ourselves, Lord, to confess those things and repent. And Lord, be better all for, for having gone through that, Lord, in the sense to where we are aware of what not to repeat. Lord, may you truly reign in our hearts. May we wholeheartedly serve you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray.